Good, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. It is precious to us, and we pray that uh, you make it even more precious to us, Lord. Just open our hearts to receive from you. Uh, do a miracle in us of grace as we, as we look through it, as we read through it, that, that we would receive it with humility, Father, and that it be a seed of life in us, that it would fall on fertile ground. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, Matthew 16. And uh, while we're getting there, for the last several weeks, the Lord has been dealing with us about the Great Commission. Um, you know, just who we are and what that means in, uh, in, as about you know, making disciples, who we are in the, this world as the church, uh, what that means as His people, in terms of our mission and our focus in the world and in this life. You know, certainly our eyes are always on Jesus Christ, right? We're always looking at Him. Paul said, I, I, my, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of Christ. So I'm always focused on Christ. We're always looking to our eternity and always have our hope set on Him. But with that, our that is what drives and moves us here in this life. So that's kind of like fuel in the furnace, right? Like, like you know, that's the fire shut up in our bones, like Jeremiah said. So that is what drives us and moves us here in this life. It fuels our compassion for others and our zeal for His kingdom. That is what causes us to, to pour ourselves out in the sacrificial love that we do uh, so that we can lead others to the same salvation that we have found in, in Jesus Christ. Like Paul said in 2 Timothy that we talked about last time, I endured it all for their sakes so that they could have the same salvation in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I suffered everything, and we went through a, a list of things that Paul suffered, and he said, I, I endured all of it, Timothy, for their sakes, so that they could have this same glorious salvation that I have. I, what I've got is so good, and I want them to have it too. That is a testimony. That's a testimony. And so the last time we were together, I told you that we are a church that is on the advance. We are on the offense. No, we're, not a, we're, not on the de we're not playing defense here. We're playing offense. This is not one of those situations where if we build it, they will come. Not a field of dreams kind of situation. This is not a situation where we just kind of hunker down and we're in the corner. Like, you know, we read that passage in, in Matthew 16, and we'll read it again today, where you know, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we get that image in our head that you know, all the, the forces of darkness are pounding down on the church, and we're kind of huddled in the corner. That's not the image that Jesus is painting at all. The gates of hell is how the kingdom of hell is the one in the corner, and we're on the advance. We're the ones on the offense, and they're the ones trying to fend off the attack from, from the righteous kingdom of heaven, the righteous armies of God, right? So this is not a situation where we're just, we just build it and sit here and wait. Jesus put it in terms of the harvest. 
Do you remember we've talked about the harvest? Open your eyes and see. He put it in terms of the harvest. The fields are white for harvest. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send workers into the field, that they would bring in the harvest. The key there is to bring in the harvest. So when I closed my message the last time that we were together, I told you that we must go get them. Remember that? The very couple words at the very end of my message. We must go get them. There is no field that I'm aware of, and you farmers can, can uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but if I'm aware of, there is no field that will harvest itself and put its produce in the barn for you. Am I wrong about that? There's no field that will, there's no crop that will harvest itself and put itself in the barn for you. That's something that we have to go do. We have to go get the harvest from the field. We must go get them. And so, let us pay particular attention to what Jesus says when he announces his church. He is announcing his church in Matthew 16. And I know we have spent a long time here. It is okay, because you know, I'm standing here. I get, I get the pulpit, so it's okay. <laughs> it's all right. Matthew 6, when he says, when he announces his church, we should pay particular attention. So Matthew 16, beginning in verse 17, let's read. Jesus answered him. He's answering Peter. He asked the question, who do you say that I am? Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus is proud of him for this answer. It's a confession of faith. And he says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven verse 19 I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven that is where I want to focus our time today now, there are two passages that I wanted to look for for some clues on to what are the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Have any of you ever wondered about that? What are these keys that he's talking about? What is, what is, what is the key? What is it? What is it? There are two passages that I want to look at that might give us some clues. And uh, we'll put them up on the screen because I'm going to go through them pretty quickly um, just to kind of, kind of give us a flashpoint. But Matthew 23, 13 Jesus is, he's giving us, he's really railing against the religious leaders of the time. He does this in Matthew 23 and then again in Luke 11. And it's interesting that in Matthew 23, he begins here with his list. We call it the seven woes. And he begins his woes against the religious leaders in Matthew 23. Then in Luke 11, he ends the woes with this woe. And a woe is just like this horrible condition. It's a horrible thing. Woe unto you. I would not want to be in your situation. It's a horror. It's a terrible situation to be in. Terrible for you. And so Matthew 23, 13, he begins this list of woes, this horrible condition for you to be in against the religious leaders. And he's just really letting them have it. 
Shame on you. This is a horrible situation for you to be in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, exclamation point. For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Does that sound familiar? I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, Peter. What do keys do? They open doors, right? They unlock doors. And what does he say that the Pharisees do, who are the religious leaders? What are you doing? You're shutting the doors in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves, nor do you allow those who want to enter to go in. You're not going in, but you, not only are you not going in, but you're shutting the door. You're not letting anybody else who would go in to go in. They see the door, and they're like, hey, I think I want to go there. And no, 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 you, don't, you can't go in there. No, 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 no. That's not the way. Let me, this is the, uh, th- that's not the way. Do you see that? Luke 11 Verse 52. Now, see, that's the, when G, in, in Matthew, when Matthew records the woes, this man, he's really pounding the religious leaders. When Matthew records it, he lists that one first. When Luke records it, he lists it last. Either way, it's a position of prominence. All right? Either way, it's a position of great importance. In Luke, verse 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 52, he says, Woe to you lawyers! Now, the lawyers were the ones who determined the, the rule, how, how the law, the religious law was applied. For you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. You kept them, boy, you twisted it, man. You just, you, you, you mangled it all up. Those who were trying to go in, you just mangled it all up for them. You just twisted it all up. So what did they do? They're rejecting the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So the, the, this is the teaching of the kingdom of heaven with the reality of Jesus Christ as the center. That is the key of the kingdom of heaven. Christ is the center. Okay? Now look at this. He was there. The bridegroom was there. The way, the truth, and the life was there. The Son of God was there. The light of the world was there. And you had a few that accepted that, namely the disciples. Then you had all these guys, the high and mighty religious leaders who rejected that. The ones that should have known the ones that knew all the law and the prophets, the ones that had it memorized, they should have seen who he was, but they were blinded. On the road to Emmaus, after Jesus was crucified and risen, he met with Cleopas, and we don't know the other gentleman's name that he met. But he was on the road to Emmaus, and they, they, were, they were walking and talking about all these things that had happened, that had just happened. And, and they're like, can you, can you believe what has gone on? And then Jesus starts walking and talking with them, and they don't recognize who he is. And, they, and Jesus begins to explain to them. And, he's, and the Bible says he explained, beginning with Moses and the prophets, who, the, who this was that was crucified. 
And he shows to them, beginning with Moses, and, the, and he shows them who he was, beginning with Moses and the prophets. He just lays it out for them. And there's like, wow, this is, this is in, I mean, it's so clear who this is. The religious leaders should have seen who this was. And Jesus says, you've locked the door. Here it is. Here's, here, here I, am. I am. I am knowledge standing in front of you. I am the truth, the way, the truth, and the life standing in front of you. And you have locked the door to the kingdom. You've locked it. They've closed the doors of the kingdom of heaven in their faces. And they refuse to let people enter themselves. In fact, what did they try to do to Jesus? They killed him. And they, they forbade anyone from preaching in his name after he died and resurrected. And they tried to have them killed. They killed most of them. The key of the kingdom of heaven is the teachings of Jesus with the reality of Jesus at the center. It is precisely what we are doing today. It is all of the Old Testament and the New Testament in the light of Christ. That's the key to the kingdom of heaven. And that is exactly what he told Peter, I'm going to give you. I will give you this. Notice he didn't give it to him yet because it wasn't finished yet. Right? He hadn't, the gospel wasn't complete yet. He wasn't finished teaching yet. But there, there's this compendium, this Bible, full of teachings of Jesus, with Jesus at the center, that we now have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And woe unto us, if we don't share it. Do, do you see that? Do you see that in those texts as well? This ties directly back to Matthew 28, 19 and 20. You had to know I was going to get back to that. Where he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. How do we spread the gospel and make disciples? That's the Great Commission. How do we do that? We baptize and teach what Jesus taught with Jesus as the reality at the center. So what did Jesus do then in Matthew 16? He turned stewardship of his house. It had belonged to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and religious leaders. He said, no, they're not doing it. They've shut the door. I'm handing it now over to my church. I'm handing it over to you, Peter. And then in Matthew 18, 18, he gives it to the rest of the disciples. He gave the keys to somebody else, someone who would open the doors of heaven, not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles as well. Amen. He turned stewardship of his house to someone else. And that's exactly what Peter did. That's exactly what the church is called to do, to open the doors of the kingdom to God's kingdom of God to the, the world. And what a terrible place it would be for us if we chose not to do that, if we were to shut people out or to hinder them as they tried to come in. You know, we like to keep tallies on how many people we have led to Christ, right? Don't we? I mean, really? I wonder what it would look like if we were to tally how many people that we have pushed away because of something stupid that we said 
or something judgmental that we said or some idiotic rule that we made them follow. Clean yourself up before you can come in here. When it's the come in here to get clean. (laughs) We got it backwards. Did anybody's toes get stepped on there? I don't know. That's why Paul rails against legalism in churches. Um, We can get so legalistic. But we have to be careful that we don't swing to the other end of the spectrum. You know, some churches have railed, they've gone so far against legalism that they go way over into the hyper-grace movement to say that, well, anything goes. And we can't do that either. We can't do that either. You know, there is a call to holiness. So Jesus finds you and he, he takes you where he finds you, but he doesn't leave you there. Amen. You know what I mean? He, he does clean you up. And <laughs> so there is, a, there is a walk and a maturity that is expected, and we are to walk along that road with you. Um, and you are expected to walk along that road, but, but we're going to take you where we find you. And there's a whole lot of grace along the way. Um, I'm, just, I'm just saying that... Um, we have to be very careful that we are not hindering those as they enter into the kingdom, Amen. that we don't become hindrances to those as they enter into the kingdom. Do you know what I'm saying? Jesus says, woe to those who are hindering those as they enter the kingdom, right? Amen. So I just think there's a whole lot of grace involved there. So anyway, there are a couple of implications for those, for us, I think, as we... Um, Um, that we should take away from the text this morning, from that particular portion of the text. Um, Number one is that we must be freely giving with the message of hope in Jesus Christ at every opportunity. Freely given. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 8, freely you have received, now freely give. How could we keep something this good to ourselves? And that's exactly what Paul was saying in 2 Timothy. I suffered all of this so that they might have the same salvation that I have. This was so good, I could not keep it to myself. So good, I'm willing to pour everything out. I'm willing to suffer everything I suffered so that they could have it too. How could we keep it to ourselves? After Jesus so boldly condemned the Pharisees and the lawyers and the scribes for withholding what was righteous from the people, how could we dare to do so ourselves? The gospel should bubble up so joyously in our hearts that we can't help but get it out. We can't help but share it. It should be like fire in our bones. Every opportunity we have, it should be Something that just explodes out of us. And is it? And if it's not, you need to be praying to God, restore to me, O Lord, the joy of my salvation. If your salvation is boring to you, get on your knees before God and beg Him to restore the joy of your salvation. There is joy in the Lord, and if you have no joy, then where is your strength? At his right hand is fullness of joy. In his presence is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
That, that's, that's supposed to be the Christian experience. Okay? So if that's not the experience that you're having, then you need to work something out in your prayer life. You need to spend some time in your word. Because there is, there is strength for you in your prayer life and there is strength for you in the Word of God to, to get to that point. I'm not saying that your life's going to be all... I'm not talking about being aloof and just, oh, everything's so happy. <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, that, that's, that, that's weird. People are weird who are like that. You ever met someone who's aloof all the time? That's just weird. Christians are not aloof and weird. I mean, we, we go through rough stuff. But there is a joy that we have and a gladness that we have in serving Christ that, man, the world just cannot shake. And if you don't have that joy, I, you need to get on your knees and beg God to restore it. That's what David did. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. So that, so that it, is, it is good enough to me, it tastes... You ever had a dessert that you just can't help but share? Amen. You ever tasted something so good? Man, you've got to try this. You ever done that? Uh, yeah, that's what this should be like. Amen. I want you to have this too. I want to share it with you. That's what it should be like. And that's what God says, Woe to you if you don't share this with someone. How could you keep this to yourself? Number two, we must be faithful stewards of the message of hope in Jesus Christ. So in Luke 11, he condemned the lawyers because they hindered those who were entering the kingdom. Notice, notice the language. They were entering. They were coming in. They, they hadn't blocked them. They were coming in. So Think about all those churches with that weird teaching. I mean, there's some, there's some weirdness out there. I mean, weirdness. And you've got to be careful. Garbage in, garbage out, right? Um, this means that I mean, they got all twisted up in legalisms and weird interpretations. And so, I mean, here, here's, the, here's the takeaway. This means that the church, as a, as a body, we need to be very careful about who we put up in leadership. Very careful about what the church is teaching and preaching, Okay. And individually, we need to be careful about what, how we study and careful about who we listen to and what we read, all right? And I'm going to, look, let me say this. There are a ton of books out there and a ton of preachers and teachers out there. Jesus warned that there will be many false Christs and many false prophets. So it's very important that we remain true to his word, Okay. So lots of, I mean, you, you can't, you can go anywhere and get material. You can go anywhere and get content, anywhere. And not all of it's good, Amen. all right? The question is, I mean, you can read every kind of self-help book, every kind of uh, spiritual book, and it seems like everybody's writing a book about something. And everybody's got a book about seven ways to do this and seven and six principles for, for getting, you know, getting your prayers answered and, and, you know, being more powerful here and whatever. Um, the question is, have you read the book? And not just one time through. Have you read the book? Because a lot of times... I'm going to show you some of this later, but a lot of times they're going to write and they're going to quote a ton of scripture. You know, they're going to quote a ton of scripture in there. There'll be little passages and little scripture references here and there and here and there and here and there. And half the time it's taken out of context. 
Just, just you got to be careful what you're reading. And the thing is, if you don't have this word in your heart, you won't have a clue that what they're telling you isn't really... I mean, it may sound good. It sounds good. But the Bible says in the last days they will heap unto themselves teachers having itching ears to, to make them feel good. Because you have an itching ears and you just, all this sounds really good. And do you know, oh my gosh, there's so much teaching out there that is so, it sounds great, but it's so wrong. It's just error. And it's just excessive error. Now, I'm not, there's a lot of it, I won't go so far as to say it will send you to hell or that it's sinful. I can't, I can't say that. But what I can say is it's just, it's just not right. It's excessive. It's not, it's not righteous. It doesn't paint God in the right light. Or maybe it's even goes, some of it goes so far as to be idolatrous. So it is sinful in that regard. But I just, you have to be careful. And there's a reason for this. Look at Matthew. Make sure the book you're reading, make sure that the book that you're reading lines up with the book. And you don't know that unless you're reading the book. Make sure that the preacher that you're listening to is, is lining up with the book. And you don't know that unless you're reading the book, the Bible. Okay? That needs to be your primary. So read that every day and then use a supplemental material. That needs to be supplemental. Right? Read the Bible every day. That's what I do. Y'all follow me in that. Okay? All right. If Paul can say it, maybe I can too. Uh-huh. So... So because the reason why is because you, you need to make sure that you're not being led astray. Because, listen, we have a mission, right, to go and make disciples. Okay? Amen. So what happens if we're being led astray and we make disciples? Amen. What are we doing with them? Amen. We lead them astray. Amen. Right? If we don't get it, we just lead other people into our confusion. Right? Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 23, 15. One of his other woes. Oh, no. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Again, he says, hypocrites, exclamation point. I love that. For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. Now, that's a convert. That's what a proselyte is, someone who begins to believe the way that you believe. And when he becomes a proselyte, you have made him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. You have just adopted this person into your own confusion, and now he's become twice as confused as you are because you didn't get it either. So it's really important that we, we don't bring people into our own confusion, right? So I think I'm pretty good with my second point. We must be faithful stewards of the message of hope in Jesus Christ. Right? Okay. So I've got nine minutes. I think I can do this. Are you ready? Binding and loosing. <laughs> Let's go there. Matthew 16, 19. This is about building a community. Because if we're going to make disciples, Jesus said, I will build my church. And then he follows that up with, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. This is about building a church. And the church is a community, right? And he says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's about, and a community requires 
order. Now, hope I don't lose you here. A whole lot, and I mean a whole lot, has been said about this phrase. It's a lot that's been said. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Here, Jesus says it to Peter. In Matthew 18, 18, he repeats it to the rest of the group. And in that context, in Matthew 18, 18, uh, he is specifically talking about church discipline, and namely about removing someone from the fellowship. In fact, let's just turn there and read it. I'll put it up on the board. Michaela, let's put it up on the board so if you, you don't have to take my word for it. So Matthew 18, beginning in verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, then you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven." Context matters. Let that sit just a little bit. Context matters. I will tell you that in the reading of the word, context is king. It matters. This is in direct relation to church discipline in Matthew 18, 18. Jesus is telling his church leaders that when you make the prayerful, spirit-led decision that someone is to be put out of the fellowship, that decision has already been made in heaven and has heavenly authority. So in this case, here in Matthew 18, it is a legal matter. It is a, a matter of whether someone is allowed in the fellowship or rejected from the fellowship. Did you know the church has the right to put someone out of the fellowship? That's what the Bible says. Let's go back to Matthew 16. It is no different here. Okay, I want you to follow me very carefully. I promise not to lead you astray. Binding and loosing are very common Hebrew terms. And together it is a very common Hebrew expression. I promise you, I do, I do lots of homework on this. And I, it's very, I take this very seriously. So I, I don't just stand up here and talk off the top of my head. That's why I use a manuscript. Um, I don't want to lead you astray. And I don't want to do the Lord a disservice. So it's very important to me that I give you the truth, or at least the truth to the extent that I can discern it. So um, I've done quite a bit of homework on this. Binding and loosing are very common Hebrew terms, or they were... Uh, when, when Jesus spoke them. 
And they were legal expressions. They were used by the rabbis to declare that something was forbidden or permitted. Something was forbidden or permitted. For example, in the Mosaic Law, the Sabbath was a day of rest. Okay? That's what the Mosaic Law said. You shall not work on the Sabbath. Right? Work is forbidden. Well, now we have to determine what work is. So, you know, work today looks a lot different than work 2,000 years ago. If I sit at my computer and start typing something um, 2,000 years ago, that looks like rest. But it's work today, right? So as times change and techniques change and technology changes, even 2,000 years ago, you know, methods change, work changes. So rules had to be established to govern behavior within the law. And that is what the rabbis did. They would bind and loose things to govern behavior, right? So it was forbidden to do certain things or it was loosed to do certain things. There are laws and sometimes the laws may be a little vague. We may not know exactly how to apply them in certain situations. So that's where binding and loosing comes in. That's where the rules come in. And that's exactly the kind of authority, just to give you a modern example, that's the kind of authority that our, our president has when he does executive orders. You know, Congress passes a law, for example, let's say Congress passes a law that says we, we must reduce carbon emissions by, you know, 2020 or whatever. Well, it's already 20, by 2030. And so then the president will issue executive orders that says, well, this means that we have to uh, cut this spending here. We have to, you know, what the orders fill in the law. Amen. You know, the law is kind of vague. The orders come in. Now, I, I can't explain what's happened in the last week. <laughs> that's a whole different ballgame. But that's how the executive orders are supposed to work, to help execute the law, to kind of fill in what's, you know, what's vague about the law. I know. <laughs> that's what I can't explain this past week. So that's what binding and loosing is to the Hebrews. Okay? It's a, it's a legal thing. It's a very practical, legal application. And we have to, you have to understand this. They're not writing in code. Okay? Jesus isn't talking in some cryptic message to his people. Matthew isn't writing in some code i mean he wants his readers to understand what he's writing jesus wants his disciples to understand what he's saying this isn't some weird code that we have to go in and decipher so i'm i'm just saying to you that the simplest explanation is usually the best and it just it frustrates me the when these people they they do these word gymnastics and try to come up with these weird crazy definitions and crazy ways to make these things. I mean, they're doing gymnastics, really, to make this stuff mean the things that they make it mean. And that just it boggles my brain how they come up with this stuff. So, these were, they would have, when they heard this, that would have been very clear to them. He's talking about, about like, rules for behavior. You know, rulemaking, that's what he's talking about. Whatever you bind will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose will be loosed. Binding and loosing, rulemaking, the trick is in heaven. 
That's the, so there's some heavenly authority that's going on here. So here's the, the thing. This is a new church with new rules, right? Okay. They don't know it yet, but the old rules are going out the door, especially when the Gentiles are brought in. They don't know this yet, but the old rules, you know, there's, a, there's all these whole uh, ritual washings and the feast laws and the diet laws and the laws that, that were made for the Hebrews that were given to the Hebrews, the laws that were not given to the Gentiles. These are new rules that are going to have to be made and some rules are going to have to be broken in order to accommodate this wide new world that is being brought into the church, Okay. So let me say a word about the translation before I continue. In English, the text says, shall be bound in heaven and shall be loosed in heaven. The verb tense, I'm going to get a little technical on you here, sorry. The verb tense in Greek is future perfect tense. So a better English translation would say, shall have been bound. And most of your Bibles, if it's a modern translation, will have a footnote that will say that, shall have been bound. So in other words, it's already done. Whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. So Jesus isn't saying, okay guys, you get to go around and willy-nilly make up some rules and I've got your back. No. Remember, he said that I will build my church. Remember that? On this rock, I will build my church. And in Matthew 28, he told us to go and make disciples. Basically, go and do what only he could do. So as Jesus builds his church through Peter and the other apostles, they are led by the Holy Spirit, and they're going to be making decisions about what is appropriate conduct of the church. What are some rules and appropriate conduct for Christians? How are Christians supposed to live? And, 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 and all that has already been ordained and decided in heaven. Allow me to show you that I'm not just making that up, okay? Remember the food rules and the Gentiles? That's going to cause no small stir among the people. All right? And it didn't cause. It was a very big stir among the people. So there's this Gentile named Cornelius. Y'all remember Cornelius in the book of Acts? He feared God. He was a very kind man. He was kind to the poor. And God smiled on him, and God told him to find Peter. The reason God told him to find Peter was so that Peter could bring him the news of Jesus. So God is doing two things here. God is spreading the gospel to the outside nations, to the Gentiles, and he's laying down some new rules at the same time. He's breaking down some barriers, laying some new rules. So in Acts chapter 10, we see Peter going up on his rooftop to pray, and he sees a vision in verse 10. Remember Peter's vision? He sees this large sheet coming down. He's hungry at the time, and the Bible says he, he sees this vision, and it's got all kinds of animals on it, unclean animals, and a voice tells him to, he says, Peter, rise and kill and eat. And Peter responds to the voice as Lord. And he says, Lord, I can't do that. I've never eaten an unclean animal. And if you have a red letter Bible, the letters are in red, so presumably he's talking to Jesus. And the voice says back to him, well, Peter, whatever I declare clean, you don't call common. Amen. 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 And this happens three times. 
And then the sheet's taken up, and right about that time, the Spirit tells him, now there are some guys coming to talk to you. I want you to go with them without hesitation. Right about that time, the knock comes at the door, and it's these guys coming from Cornelius' house. And so then Peter goes with them to Cornelius' house, and, and he preaches the gospel to Cornelius' house. And I want you to look at what he says in Acts 10.34. We'll just put it up here. Peter opened his mouth and he said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. That is radical. Because the Jews were the only ones that were God's people. It was a blood thing for them. It had nothing to do with faith. So there's some new rules being made here. And guess what? He declared it. Whatever you, he loosed it. Right? Amen. But it had already been loosed in heaven. Do you see that? He had the vision. What I declare clean, you don't call common. That's what that whole thing was about. It was a lot less to do with food. We're going to have to deal with food. Paul deals a lot with food. We're going to have to deal with that because there are some food rules you're going to have to deal with. Amen. Right? Because they don't have the same kind of culture you do, and I have not given them the same food laws that I've given you. Amen. We're going to have to deal with that, but first we've got to deal with the people. What I have called clean, you don't call common. Now there's some Gentiles at your door, and I'm about to spread my gospel to them. Amen. Hello. Oh, I see, I see. Truly, truly, anyone who, who loves the Lord is acceptable to him. I have just loosed it. It's already been loosed in heaven. That's what he means. He loosed the fellowship of the kingdom of God to the Gentiles. It had already been done, been done in heaven. I just wanted to show you that this statement by Jesus about binding and loosing has a whole lot more to do with church governance and Christian rules about Christian rules about living. And it, it gives us some freedom in the Christian church to I don't want to say to change. We can't change the truth, right? We can't change eternal truth. But it gives us some room to operate within the cultures that we have. There are certain things that are culturally appropriate that aren't eternal truth. Okay? It would be culturally inappropriate for me to wear certain things in certain cultures. And I couldn't go there and do that. That's why Paul was able to say, I can be all things to all people. He can go and do certain... It would be culturally inappropriate for me to eat certain foods in certain churches. It would make it sinful for me to eat certain foods in certain churches because it would be a stumbling block to them, right? So this is what Jesus is saying. I've given you some permission to make some rules, and that's what that's about, binding and loosing. It's a lot, it's not, we don't, there's not a lot of mysticism bound up in that. A lot less mysticism attached to it than what a lot of people try to attach to it. Now, I'm not saying that this doesn't mean that we don't have authority in the spiritual realms because we do have authority in the spiritual realms. But it's a bit out of context to go to this text in order to claim that spiritual authority. And when you hear people claiming that authority from this text, 
then chances are that they've taken other texts out of context as well. And they've misused and misquoted and misrepresented other scriptures as well. It means they haven't done their homework. Um, Essentially what I'm saying is that binding and loosing has to do with us prayerfully and with the guidance of the Holy Spirit making rules for our own Christian communities as to how to live in accordance with the scriptures in, in the context of our own culture and our own times. Does that make sense? Y'all get that? All right. Cultural contexts change over time. We Obviously, we don't compromise the truth of God's word, right? We don't compromise that. Um, but, but we're allowed, he's given us some freedoms to, to set cultural norms um, within, within the boundaries of the text. I have, to, I have to wrap up with something about missions. I've got to say that. He, he told us that we have to open the doors. He's given us the keys. We've got we've to take these. And woe to you who have shut the doors to the kingdom of heaven. And there's all this language. We've talked about this for weeks, about us making disciples and being a church on the move and all that stuff. We have got to do something about... We can't just sit here. We've got to be active. We've got to be active. We've got to go get them. And so I, I was talking to a brother the other day about this, and I want you all to be in prayer about this because we've we got to do something. I just feel it burning in my bones. We've got to do something, something bold. Um, Listen, I just feel like if we were to close our doors and this church were to not be open anymore, that the people in the immediate vicinity would not know it. Most of you drive miles to get here. Do you know what I'm saying? So I mean that the people in West Paris would never know that we were here if we were to close our doors tomorrow. And I find that that is a that's an indictment. And so um, I, want, I, don't, I don't know what it looks like. I really don't. I, I don't have a vision for how that's supposed to be. I just feel like we need to be, we need to do something. Um, so that's my challenge to s- for you. And if that makes you uncomfortable, then I don't know what to tell you. Uh, get on board. That's what I'm going to tell you. Get on board. I will drag you kicking and screaming. <laughs> We've sat on our duffs long enough. So we need to reach our communities. That's what I'm saying. And there's enough people in this immediate area who need the gospel, who need us, and uh, we need to get to them somehow. And, I, and look, don't, it's not lost on me. How in the world do you reach a community in a pandemic when you can't walk up to their doors? I don't know. I have no clue. So I don't know. So that's what I'm doing. I'm saying, hey, guys, let's figure it out. All right? So pray about it, okay? Pray about it and think about it. And maybe God will show one of you or several of you. All right? So bless y'all. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We thank you so much for your holy word, and we thank you for this time together. God, I ask that you bless us as we move forward from here. Lord, give us vision. Give us purpose. Father, we ask that you help us to be a blessing to our community and to those who are lost. Help us to bring in the harvest, God. Give us vision to do it and the strength and the temerity and the energy to do it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.